We are finishing uh, our study um, that we began a while back. I, again, I wasn't intending for this to be a four-Sunday study. Um, I'm sure Tim's not too angry with me about keeping him from the book of Acts, but um, I think that it's, it's, again, you know, as we walk our walk, we want to be equipped. We want to have um, weapons and and tools to be able to defend our faith. And um, I think that it's worthwhile to look at uh, these issues and address them. And as we have done so far in this study on Jesus, whether he's Lord, liar, lunatic, or legend, um, we're just going to wrap up today on the last part. But... um, as we talked about for the last three times we were together about this subject, we talked about and basically we're putting to bed the issue of the legend aspect that we we've learned that that because of the the things that the Lord had put in place, the oral tradition that was so prevalent at that time and so accurate that people were able to remember things. And the creeds that were developed immediately after the cross um, that gave us the Christology that has continued to this day, that there's nothing new, nothing changed, nothing evolved, nothing got distorted, um, and we have evidence of that in these creeds that have been established. And then we looked at the fact that we have the New Testament manuscripts which are actually really historically, if you look at it in a historical, uh, comparing it to other documents, the, the, having the uh, manuscripts from the first century and second century is beyond any other ancient writing. And so if you're going to discount the Bible, you've got to throw out all the rest of ancient uh, history. Because... We have it earlier, we have it more, we have more documents, more manuscripts than any other ancient writing in this world. And it's, it's just amazing what God has done to provide for us sufficient evidence. And so um, we're uh, going to today continue on. Now, I started with, if you go to the next slide, um, a quote from... Oh, this is... I got to start. Wait. Yeah. C.S. Lewis. Where he proposed this... He actually didn't propose it. He wasn't the first to come up with this saying, but he's the one who made it rather famous. Um, And um, he had already, in his mind, eliminated the idea of Jesus being legend. So when he proposed this Lord, liar, or lunatic, he was already done with the concept of there being a legend. And he says that here. He says, Now, as a literary historian, I'm perfectly convinced that whatever else the Gospels are, they are not legends. I have read a great deal of legend, and I am quite clear that they are not the same sort of thing. They are not as artistic enough to be legends. From an imaginative point of view, they're clumsy. They don't work up to things properly. Most of the life of Jesus is totally unknown to us, and as is the life of anyone else who lived at that time. And no people building up a legend would allow that to be so. So he ruled it out. And you go to the next slide. 
He says, I'm trying here, and this is, this is his, his statement that I, I think is really uh, worth uh, paying attention to. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus. This is what they say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him, his claim to be God. He said, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely... A, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. He says, you must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He says he's not left that open to us and he did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he is neither a lunatic or a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Okay, we can go home now. It's done. With the conclusion. I mean, it's pretty simple. It really is when we, when we look at it. Obviously, we're here because we believe Jesus is God. We're, but people who try to say that he was something else a good teacher, a good moral guy, you know, taught great teachings, but he's just not God. He didn't leave that option. And he forces us to make a decision. And that's what he says here. You've got to make a decision. You have to choose one or the other. You can't sit in the camp of, of um, you know, a nebulous situation where you just don't, haven't, haven't made a decision. You're either, Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. You're either gathering or scattering. So in this case, um, we have to decide whether he's um, God or whether he's a liar or a lunatic. Um, this is a, a poem. Actually, it's, it's, by, it's attributed to a guy named James Allen Francis. But it's not really a poem the way we read it, okay? Or think of poems. But I just want to read this. This is really, really uh, um, impactful. He says, he was born, if you think about this, as we talk about one man, one man who lived, out of all the billions of people who've lived on this face of, the, of this earth, one man has made an impact beyond all others. He says, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant, he grew up in another village where he worked as a carp- in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. 
when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Two centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. We base our calendars off of the birth of this person. And he says, I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on, earth, on this earth as much as that one solitary life. And we look at the impact that Jesus has had, what is his greatest and primary legacy that he's left behind? It's the church. And think about, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, what would this world be like if, if possible, you were to subtract out the influence of Christianity in, this, in our world? There was, it would be devastating. It would be horrible because it's so good. the Lord has used his church so much to change society. And let me just give you a few examples of what, of what the church has been involved in over uh, the years. Hospitals came from church. They came from the, the Christians in the Middle Ages. Universities were established. Some of the greatest universities in the world were established by Christians. Unfortunately, we see a lot of them in this country that have gone the, the way of the dodo in, the, in that sense. Um, education for the masses. Representative governments, especially in this country where we have a justice system. Um, the abolition of slavery. Was, in, in England, it was uh, William Wilberforce who was tremendously instrumental in ending, ending the plague of slavery. And here in this country, Abraham Lincoln, Christian people who pushed to get to end slavery. Um, modern science, Isaac Newton and others were, were, their understanding of science came from the fact that there's a God who's absolute and doesn't change. And we're able to study science and do science because God doesn't change. And then that's where we get the laws of science. We can only have these laws of science because we have the law of the fact that God doesn't change. Um, we have a high regard for human life. That comes from the Christian uh, ethic and belief system. Uh, we have countless, and if you look at, uh, you know, throughout history, transformed lives because of Christ. And um, what would this world be like without the influence of, of the church? It would, be, it would be, I think, devastated. You know, we, we look at the way things were back in the days of Jesus. There was not the Christian influence then. And Rome was a pretty decadent society. I mean, the things that they did and how they treated humanity, you know, where they... they uh, were brutal. They were horrible. And uh, the influence that we have today, the society has essentially been leavened 
by the Christian influence in, throughout. And unfortunately, we see in this country um, the decline of that influence taking place. But nonetheless, in history overall, um, this influence has had a tremendous impact on, on all of uh, society and all of the world. You know, it's interesting. Remember whenever I taught the, uh, the, the study on the uniqueness of the Bible? I mean, of all books, of all the history of all the world, it has been the most published, the most reproduced, the most copied, the most distributed, the most translated. It's unique among all books. And what does that book teach us about? A unique man of all men. Unique among all men. And these stand out as massive pillars to, to us as obvious and evidence that this is the hand of God. But to those that are blind and those that don't see, it doesn't, it doesn't stand out that way. And that's, I believe, part of our job is to point that out to people, to share that with people and make it known to people. What do I, what I want to do is look at uh, Jesus. Okay, we have this portrait here of a man who, who lived this incredibly ethical life, moral life, impactful life, uh, etc. But he made some outrageous claims. And um, this is what causes people to uh, have a problem with him. I just want to go through some of the claims that he made and, and just here. I mean, these are things that he said about himself that prevent us from being able to say he's just a good guy. They don't allow that, okay? It forces us to make a decision. He says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the light of the world. These are all metaphorical statements. He says, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. These are not necessarily, you know, it says, I am, I am, I am, ego, e me. But it's not, it's, these aren't the claims of deity at this point. These are just, we're focusing on the metaphorical uh, aspect of who he is to us. He is the bread. He is the, the substance that we all need to nourish our souls. And um, he is, he's all these things to us. If you go to the next slide. Then he made some more outrageous statements. And when, remember whenever Jesus had finished preaching and he, uh, his disciples, he went up on the mountain to pray. His disciples began to, got in a boat and were crossing the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And then a storm hit. And they were, they were being tossed and they were afraid. And Jesus walks on the water. And they cry out to him. And he says to them, he says literally, uh, I am, do not fear. And this is a claim to deity here. He says, I am. And he's, what he's saying is that I am God. I am the, the, exist, the one who, who has existed always. He's claiming the, to be the God of uh, the Old Testament. The, the, uh, the Yahweh, the, the creator of, of the universe. And I want you to go ahead and turn to, um, to John 8.24 and uh, let's look at some of the, the claims that he's made. 
uh, here. John 8 is one of the packed chapters where he um, has a lot to say. And um, in 8.24, he says, well, I'm going to back up a little bit. We'll go to 8.20. He says, so he said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. And I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And again, this is the, uh, that ego in me, this is that, that claim actually to deity here. And then further on down in verse 28, he says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority. And then the further on down in verse 58 is where it really gets a rough for the, for the, um, the Pharisees because they just can't handle what He says. In verse um, 50, I'm going to go to uh, 56, where he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? They're kind of like, can't figure out what is he talking about here. And um, I lost my place. And he, he says, you're yet 50 years old, and you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that is an obvious claim to deity. What's their response when they hear him say this? What do they, what do, they do? It says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. Now these are these are Orthodox Jews. These are Pharisees, and they were only allowed to stone somebody for certain things. One of which is blasphemy, and they took up stones here because he was claiming to be the I Am. That's a radical claim. You know, you can say a lot of things about people, but whenever, and a person can say a lot of things, but when they say, I'm God, think about that today. If somebody, and we've had this happen at different times, people say, I'm God. But Jesus said it, and then he backed it up with proof, uh, the resurrection being the ultimate proof. And then we go to John 10, 30, and um, this is where he's um, giving his, uh, I am the, the shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, and I'm also the door to the sheepfold. And in verse 30, he says this, which kind of, again, blows the, the Pharisees away. In verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. I mean, think of somebody today saying that. 
That would be hard to swallow. Obviously, we would reject it. But if this was said in our time in front of us, and what was their response again? After he said, I and the Father are one, they picked up stone, stones again to stone him. That was their response. That they knew that what he was claiming was deity, and, and they were ready to stone him because of that. And, and we go on to, um, to the next slide. Uh, this one we're very familiar with. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you have known me, you would have known my Father also. For now on, you know him and have seen him. So he's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Radical claim. Radical claim. And then Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's a radical statement, if it's not true. And obviously, we know it is true, but it, it's a claim that is, 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 separates him from all other men. You cannot make this claim and be considered to be a sane person if it isn't true. You're either a liar or you're a lunatic. Either you know you're not God and you're saying you are, or you think you're God and you're crazy. Or the, ulti- the ultimate and the final decision that we've all made is that he is God. He is God. So what other claims have others made about Jesus? I want to look at some of the testimony of others. And if we look at, remember when Jesus was baptized? In Matthew 3.17 it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the testimony from who? From God the Father, right? And then at the Transfiguration, whenever uh, on, Jesus was on the mount with uh, Peter, James, and John, um, this is what was said. God said this, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So by God's own testimony, he's endorsing Jesus. Listen to him. This is my Son. Listen to him. If we go on, even, uh, not that Jesus wanted this, but he, he actually got endorsement from demons. When he cast them out, they knew who he was. And it says that they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us, torment us before the time? In Mark uh, 134, it says, And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. If you go to the next slide, this is, and in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. You notice how most of the time whenever these demons speak, Jesus tells them to shut up. Because he doesn't want endorsement from demons. He doesn't need endorsement from demons. But they know who he is. And they're terrified of him. And they're afraid that he's come to judge them ahead of the time. So it's not that he wants endorsement from them. But 
uh, they confess who he is. Now, uh, further on, there's testimony from the crowds. And, and this is telling whenever they listen to him teach. It says there, the, the, many, there's words that they use, astonished, amazed, they marveled. And these words are words that are, have heavy meaning. They, it says they were beside themselves because of his teaching. They'd never heard anything like this. And so here's some, here's some of the, the testimony um, coming from them. Um, this is in Matthew uh, 7.28. It says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And the next, Matthew thirteen fifty four, it says, In coming to his own hometown, he taught in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? And then down in verse 56, it says, Where did this man get all these things? They're blown away at his teaching. All these years of hear, listening to the scribes and the Pharisees, they listened to him, them teach, and they were never impacted by what they said. But Jesus comes bringing the truth, bringing the life, and bringing the light of the God's word. Remember how he, he, at the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard it said this, right? But I say this. In other words, he was, as we learned uh, when Tim went through Matthew, he was removing the tradition from the Pharisees and giving the truth of what God meant and the truth bare and raw was impactful. But the, 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 when man mixed in all his traditions and, and thoughts into it, it was, it was cloudy and, and there was no impact to it. But here, when Jesus teaches, these people are deeply impacted and in awe of what he's saying. The next slide. Matthew 12, he says, And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out our demons. And so the people already were getting a clue as to who he was. They're beginning to ask questions. Could this be the prince? This is, could this be the son of David? Could this be, as some people um, would say in, in other parts of Scripture, is this the prophet? Is this the one we're waiting for? And it, 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 it's similar to how we have, you know, these people were just regular people. They weren't the, you know, the, the high and mighty Pharisees who had much learning and much, uh, their heads were clouded with their own study that had misled them. They've got themselves completely misled. But these are just regular people, and the regular people just kind of got it. They saw this is something different. This is something special. This is something beyond what we're hearing from the Pharisees. It's actually life-changing. And they were amazed at what they heard. Next slide. Um, Did I miss one? I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, Matthew, uh, Mark one twenty seven. It says, and they were all amazed, so that they were questioning among themselves, saying, "What is this? 
a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Again, um, so I want to I want to ask the question here: Was Jesus, if if we're talking about Lord liar or lunatic, was he ever accused of being a liar? Do you ever remember reading in scripture where he was accused of being a liar? Um, there was a basically by association he was. If you go to the next slide, in Mark. Uh, 3.22 it says and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem I want to turn to Mark I want to make sure that we catch this this is where Jesus was um, his family was came to him and came to try to rescue him try to to um, to arrest him, essentially, is the word that's used there. But um, he he had just chosen his disciples. It says in verse twenty, it says, "Then he went home, and the crowds gathered again, so that they could not even eat." It says, and when his family heard it. They went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. Now, who's Beelzebul? It's just another word for Satan, right? Satan is the father of lies. So if Jesus is possessed by Satan, they're by extension accusing him of being a liar. We'll, we'll come back to this verse uh, a little bit later about the uh, the lunatic aspect. Um, well, here we are. The next slide is, was he ever accused of being uh, insane? And as we just read, I want to go back. Now his family is, who, who, is, who, is, who are we talking about here? We're talking about his mother Mary and his brothers. James, he has a, a brother, um, James, Judas. Um, he has sisters. I, I think there's one other brother, Joseph. Or um, no, G, uh, I can't remember his other brother's name, but he had brothers and sisters. Okay. And uh, James being one of the main. Uh, now, it says that his family came to arrest him, to, to take him. And and um, stop him basically from continuing on. Uh, they wanted to seize him, and I think here we would have to conclude that Mary did. Mary know who he was. Mary knew who he was, so I don't think she was the one who was really behind the seizing Jesus. I think it was his brothers. Because uh, in other parts of scripture we see his brothers kind of almost like mocking him. And um, so this is probably his brothers who are the ones that want to seize him uh, because they think he's out of his mind. They literally think he's beside himself. He's not in his right mind. But uh, I don't think that uh, Mary was necessarily part of this. I think that she was, I mean she was there, but she, she, or she knew who he was. But his brothers, I think, were were um, 
the ones who were really concerned about his mental status and uh, they, they accused him of being a lunatic out of his mind. But what happened to his brothers later in their life? Did they still continue to think he was a lunatic? No. They came to realize who he really was and James became the, the, one of the pillars of the Jerusalem church. And his, and other, his other brother, uh, Jude, writes the, the book of Jude. They became believers. I, I, I don't know about his sisters. I don't know if they all came to faith, but my, my guess is that they probably did after having seen him raised from the dead. If we go to um, John 10.20 is another place where Jesus is accused of being uh, insane. And um, this is after all of his what we just read earlier where he says you know I and the Father are one and the same and and then um, in verse 19 he says there was again a division among the Jews because of these words many of them said he has a demon and is insane why listen to him but look at here others say this these are not the words of one who is oppressed by demons can a demon open the eyes of the blind so they're getting it. They're realizing this can't be a man who's a demon or who is insane, a lunatic. Can demons open the eyes of the, of the blind? They're, they're getting it. The, the, um, the Pharisees said this because they hated him and they wanted uh, to uh, basically get rid of him. At this point, they wanted to kill him. Um, I I ran across a book. If you can go to the next slide, yeah. Um, I didn't. I, I it wouldn't come in, in in time enough for me to actually read the book. So I had to read like you know reviews about it and so forth. But this is a, a really interesting book. It's called Mad or God, and it's written by two um, psychiatrists. And um, you know, there's a book out right now. Have you guys heard of Richard Dawkins? Richard Dawkins is a uh, is a militant atheist. He's probably the loudest mouth against Christianity today in the science world. And he wrote a book called The God Delusion. Now, the interesting thing is this, is that Richard Dawkins is an um, evolutionary biologist. That's his area of expertise. But he writes a book about a psychiatric condition. And he says that Christians who believe in Jesus are basically barking mad. And, but so he goes on and, and, and this psychiatrist read his book and says, this isn't a book of biological evolution. This is a book on psychiatry. And this guy's out of his lane completely. Is, is Richard Dawkins an expert in psychiatry? No. And, but yet he's, because, you know, this is where basically smart people say stupid things. There's a lots of what I would call smart, very smart, dumb people. 
And we have a lot in our society today. We have people that have all these letters behind their name, but they can say some really stupid things. And they can say things that are completely out of their area of expertise. And, and this is the case with this book by Richard Dawkins, this God delusion. He's talking about um, something that, of which he is not an expert. But he hates Christianity so much, and he goes against his attack. Is all of his attack is on Christianity and and uh, Christians. Um, but these gentlemen, these men, are psychiatrists, and they wrote a book and they analyzed Jesus uh, under the principles and, te- and tools and tests that they have in psychiatry. So they go to the next slide. They have these nine different tests that they that they apply to look at when they look at Jesus, and they they look at there's a test of psychiatry, psychosis, which is obviously a diseased mind, mental impairment, the test of character, the test of consistent life, like was he the same throughout all the time, uh, relationships, did he have healthy you know relationships, and was he able to maintain healthy relationships, um, how did he handle adversity? Uh, the test of influence and the test of his claims. And um, their conclusion is this. No ment- mentally sick person or no evil man could ever have been able to speak or behave in the impeccable and influential way that Jesus did unless he really was what he claimed to be, God. So these are guys who are experts in the field of psychiatry who analyzed the things that Jesus did and said and how he behaved and how he... So these claims that he made, outrageous claims, they're outrageous if he's not God. But if he is God, they make sense. And that's what they did. They applied these tests and said, you know what, the only conclusion you can come to is that he is God. Um... Here's a man from history. You know, when you study this stuff, I could quote hundreds of people. So I just picked a couple. But this is one of Great Britain's most noted historians and opponent of organized Christianity. So he's not a friend of Christianity, but this is what he says. He goes, It was reserved for Christianity to present to the world an ideal character which, through all the changes of 18 centuries, has inspired the hearts of men with an impassioned love has shown itself capable of acting on all ages, nations, temperaments, and condition, and has been not only the highest pattern of virtue, next, but the strongest incentive to its practice. The simple record of Jesus' three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and soften mankind that all the disquisitions of philosophers and all the exhortations of moralists. And um, here's a, a, a quote from MacArthur, who he taught on um, this subject, actually. And, um, and here's his, his conclusion. Now, the New Testament is written clearly to make it obvious to any reader that Jesus is not a lunatic. Lunatics don't heal sick people, raise the dead, raise dead people, dominate demons. Lunatics don't speak the way Jesus spoke, think the way he thought. Lunatics don't act the way he acted. Lunatics don't attract women and children. Lunatics aren't marked by kindness and mercy and compassion. 
Nor is Jesus a liar, nor is he the cleverest, perhaps of all deceivers, because liars don't raise dead people either. Frauds don't heal sick people, don't banish disease from a nation for a duration of three years. Frauds don't dominate the world of demons either, and neither do frauds die and after dying, after being buried, come out of the grave. So really, we're left with only one alternative which, with regards to Jesus. Unless you want to join those who think he's a lunatic or those who think he's the greatest liar of all times, you're left with, no, with one option, and that is the option that he is who he claimed to be. That is, he is God. And here's the last thing he says. The evidence is in virgin-born, sinless life, power over the physical world, power of the spiritual world, power over life, power over death, power over creation. Clearly, he is Lord. And that's it. So, what we have when I, when I studied this, is just, it's just, um, it's a privilege and a blessing to, to look at all these, like I said, I, I, I get to as Tim knows, you read a lot more and study a lot more than you actually can put on paper. But it gives you such a clear picture of the fact that we're, we are following the most unique person of all time. And he, he kept his word. He accomplished his claims. He rose from the dead. He is, he is who he said he is. And we can have confidence in our following of this man, Jesus Christ, the most unique man on the face of the earth, the most impactful life that's ever been lived on this earth. And we are not fools for following him. We are actually wise for following such a one. And so I'm, um, <clears throat> it's a privilege and it's a blessing and it's, um, it's, it's, life. Amen? All right. Thank you. We're...